Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Well, happy 2020 to all of you. I pray that the year finds you joyfully. Um, we are in Matthew chapter 1 tonight. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 1. If you're here tonight and you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love for you to follow along in our study. And the ushers are coming up and down the aisles right now with Bibles. If you get their attention, they will hand one off to you. Now listen, I know I sit here on Sunday mornings, and so I know what it's like when the verses are up on the screen. But you can't highlight a screen. And you can't remember where the word is on the page when it's on a screen. You know, there's something to having the book right there open so you can go back. You know, there's a verse that I'm going to share tonight that I haven't read and probably honestly, well, read it, but not really noticed it in several years. And, and I knew where it was on the page and found it in like a second. There is nothing like having the book. There's something about it. So get a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 1. A few announcements while you're finding your way. Um, the Bring Back series, Workshops with Deborah, uh, will, will be on January 14th, 7 p.m. And this month's workshop is organizing, uh, and it's part two. But if you missed part one, you probably still can come to part two. It's better to be part organized than not at all i suppose and you can invite a friend it's a free event also uh save the date for our marriage retreat now this happens every year it comes up right after christmas and because of all the crazy of the holidays it kind of like happens you know so listen to this announcement because it's february 7th and 8th at the embassy suites in saratoga springs and registration is open online cchv.org you want to get in on it i think it's like 225 dollars per couple but you get like a suite, you get a couple of meals, and you get sessions. We're bringing in speakers. We try to really invest in the marriages and use this as an opportunity. Uh, it's a great little getaway, and it's a great place. So please, if you're free, don't miss out on that. Also, Night of Prayer and Praise on Sunday evening, January 19th. That's President's Day weekend, Sunday evening. So there's no school the next day. For some, no work. So that means no excuses. From 5 to 7 p.m. for a night of prayer and praise, you can fill out a prayer request card and place it in the tithe box uh, for prayer that evening. So if you have something that you would like us to lift up as a church, uh, you know, don't get too personal. You don't have to sign it, but God knows faces, names, situations to the depths that you and I can't even comprehend. So if you want something lifted up that night, uh, you can either put it in the tithe box. We also have a prayer wall through that glass window in the back. It's made out of pallet wood. You can put, post something up there if you'd like. And then finally, the women's ministry. Ladies are welcome to join one of the women's ministry Bible studies starting Thursday, January 23rd. Uh, there will be a weekly morning Bible study that starts at 10 a.m. and a monthly evening Bible study at 7 p.m. For more information on both, you can see the women's ministry table on the back. And as always, consult the website for more. So uh, that's it for announcements. We are in Matthew chapter 1. Tonight, as we begin a new study uh, through the book of Matthew, which I'm very excited about. Um, could you guys start the count-up clock? I think the congregation would be very happy if that clock is rolling. It helps me help them. So, uh, how many in here, by show of hands, have kids? Yes, I have kids too. And everybody knows, even if you don't have kids, um, that kids, because we all were kids, that kids have foods that they need and kids have food that they like right 
And a good mom knows how to make the food that they need taste like the food that they like. My wife is very, very good at this. She's not yet good at making the food that they need look like the food that they like. It still looks like the food that they don't like, but it tastes pretty good. You know, so she makes ice cream out of avocados and salad greens and different things. And, you know, she's just got it down. She knows how to sneak in uh, the good things. You know, good mom knows how to do that. Now, uh, Christians, Christians have food that they like And Christians have food that they need. And when I say food, I'm talking about the word of God. Jesus said that that, that my word is like bread, like manna, like milk, like meat, constantly relating to us on that level. And Christians have sermons, studies, passages. We have things that we like, but there are also things that we need. And a good preacher knows how to make the things that you need taste like the things that you like, you know? So sometimes, you know, you hear, we're going to have a study in the Old Testament. And you think, oh, salad. I don't know if I want to go through a book of the Old Testament, you know? In fact, I have had people in this church come up to me when we're starting a book in the Old Testament, and they say, I will see you again when you get back into the New Testament, you know? And so if if you're here tonight, welcome back. I'm glad that you're here, uh, (laughs) regardless, you know? But uh, there, there are things that we like. We love a prophetic word. We love a good topical uh, sermon or message that really speaks to right where we are in life, uh, that speaks to where we're at with the Lord and that, that hits us in a way that we know it was from God. There's something so pleasing about that. But sometimes when we say we're going to teach through a book or we're going to go line upon line, it causes us to say, well, I don't know if that's really going to be relevant. Well, my desire and my aim in going through the book of Matthew is not to bore you with endless theology, just giving you facts and things, but I want to make it matter to you. Uh, I, I just had my 20th wedding anniversary. Don't clap because it just takes up time, and it's only 20 years. There's people here that have been married like 50, you know, so clap for me when I hit 50, but... Uh, But we we had our 20th, and my wife posted on some social media a song by an artist named Andrew Peterson. And he's just an amazing songwriter, Christian songwriter. He's just got an amazing gift to be able to to, to really use words and song and and put it together in such an amazing way. And I was listening to this song, and it was so good. Um, But as I was listening, I'm I'm looking at the screen, and it's just a, a screen, but underneath there's comments. People comment on the song not on my wife's thing, but on the song itself. And the comment on the very top of the page was four years old. I don't know who wrote it, but they said, thank you for writing songs about things that matter. That was the, the comment. And, and that, it struck me because that's, that is exactly what Andrew Peterson does. He writes songs about things that actually matter. And I thought to myself, after that and then into the next day, that there's so much that we do and that is done in the name of the Lord that is maybe it's good, but it doesn't really matter. It seems like there's a lot of songs that are written, even a lot of sermons that are preached, a lot that's done, but it doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't, at the end of the day, it's, it's not doing anything, you know. And so the Lord really impressed upon me in that moment that as we go through the book of Matthew, I want it to matter, you know, as we go through this, you know, not just facts, not just knowledge, not just things, ideals that are so lofty that we take them out, but they mean nothing when we go out and try to live our lives 
or try to know God. You know, so uh, it's my, my intention and my aim, and you can pray for me that as we go through this, that it matters. And, and you know, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's why you're here. We can all go home and read the Bible, um, but I really want this uh, to matter. Now, you'll notice if you turn to the book of Matthew, if you were one page shy, you'll notice the page before the book of Matthew in your Bible, it probably says the New Testament. And that's probably all that there is on the page. Because as we open up to Matthew chapter 1, we are in fact starting what is called the New Testament. If you're brand new to the Bible, then you should know, you want to know, that the Bible is made up of two testaments. There's the Old Testament, which is the very large part at the beginning, and then there's the shorter counterpart, which is the New Testament that makes up the second half. Now, the Old and the New Testament have one singular theme. There is not two themes. There's two testaments, but there's one theme. And the theme of the Bible from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 22, verse 21, is Jesus Christ. That is the theme. Jesus would say that you search the scriptures and in them you think that you have life, but they are they which testify of me. Genesis 1-1 speaks of Jesus Christ all the way through, all the way until the end. Now, the Old Testament serves to give us a framework for our origins, where we came from, the history that would set the stage for the physical appearance of Jesus Christ, and also it reveals our need for the Savior that would come. And so the Old Testament is a prefiguring, a preparation, yet still a revelation of Jesus that would come. And then the New Testament is the incarnation, the witness of his ministry, the accounts of what took place, and then the explanation of what it all means and what it looks like in the life of a human being that Jesus has come and that Jesus has risen and that Jesus is alive and that we are called to eternal life with him. And so Jesus is the central theme of the entire Bible from beginning to the end. Now you need to know this, is that the Bible was not written by man. Both Testaments were written by God. The Holy Spirit of God wrote the Bible so that we would know God and so that we would know ourselves and so that we would know life and truth. God wrote it for our sake. Now, there's scripture that says that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, learning, for reproof, that's correction, for correction, that's correction. <laughs> we must need it. And instruction in righteousness so that, it goes on to say, the, the man of God, and that's the person of God, the Christian, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, completely equipped. And so all scripture is literally breathed by God, not written by man. The apostle Peter explains it in better language, not better, more uh, full language. They weren't really competing. Peter and John competed. Peter and Paul, maybe not so much. But listen to how Peter says it. He, he says um, concerning the difference between seeing Jesus, G Peter saw Jesus, and, and having the word of God, Peter says this, first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 19. He says that we have, you and I have, a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well 
that we take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the day star rise in our hearts. Now, the word of prophecy is the word of the Bible, the word of God that's been given to us. And here's what he says about it in verse 20. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, meaning that nobody can say, well, I alone have the, 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 the secret interpretation of what these verses mean. No, 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 no. God has laid it out plainly so that anyone can understand, and, and God wants you to understand the things that he's written in the Bible. So here's where it came from, verse 21. He says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, People thinking it up, conjuring it up, inspired by themselves. It didn't come by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So God breathed the scripture through prepared people that were faithful to him and anointed of him to record the things that he would say. And then God puts his stamp of approval on it with the resurrection of Christ the ministry and the miracles of the apostles and the witness of the, the scripture as it happens in our life. And I say that in my introduction because as we approach the word of God, we're not approaching the words of men. We're approaching God's gift to us that he's given for the sake that we might know him and that we might live the life that he designed for us to live with his help that he gives. And that's an important thing for us to understand at the very beginning. One of the things that I did when I first became a Christian, which I'm very thankful for. I'm, I'm somewhat naive by nature. You could probably sell me something broken for a lot of money very easily because I tend to just believe you. But in my, my naivety, the, the good thing that came from it is that when I first gave my life to Christ, uh, coming on 20 years ago, actually it might be a little more than that, uh, I, I decided that I was going to give God the benefit of the doubt concerning the Bible. Now, the benefit of the doubt literally means a favorable judgment in the absence of complete evidence. Meaning, I, I, I wasn't there, okay, when a lot of these things happened that I recorded. And, and there's absolutely no way for me to prove with absolute finality that everything that's written in the Bible is absolutely true because I just wasn't there for a lot of it. Clear and plain. But... I decided that I'm going to give God the benefit of the doubt that when he says that every word of the Bible is inspired and true and without error, I'm just going to believe it. And, and if I don't agree with something or don't like something, I'm going to assume that that's a problem with me or with my puny human mind and not with God or his understanding of human culture. And that has been for me in these past 20 years a saving grace within my life. To take God at his word, and even if I don't understand it, to just say, I'm going to wait for more information on that, but I'm going to trust him that what he says means something. And I encourage you, even as we begin the study of Matthew, to take that approach towards God. And listen, if it turns out to fail you, let me know. Okay, because I've never met anybody who has planted their life in that place. And, and, and at the end of all things, when everything works out the other side, they say, yeah, God failed because he doesn't fail. You know, so to get the most out of all of this, give God the benefit of the doubt concerning these things. Now, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and it's the first of four what we call gospels. And what the gospels are is that they are testimonies of Jesus life. They are not stories. 
They are testimonies. They were written by people that saw it and they're telling us their account. The reason that there are four of them is because there are four different perspectives that are given. If you want to understand something completely, then you look at it from every side. And thus God has given us four angles with which we can examine his son for the sake of understanding and knowing him in the way that we can, in the way that God wants to. Now, Matthew's perspective is from the perspective of a Jewish mind. That was the audience that he was trying to reach. You'll see over and over again in Matthew that he says, this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. He says that more than anybody else. This was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Because he was trying to prove that Jesus is the fulfillment of what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that he's got nothing to say to you and I. It just means that's the angle that he was looking at Jesus from. Now, Mark was looking at Jesus from a different angle, more of a Roman or Gentile angle. His gospel is quick. It points out Jesus not so much as the fulfillment of prophecy, but as the the servant of all, which is what Jesus said that he was. Luke's gospel, he looks at Jesus from the angle of his humanity. The thing that we see in Luke's gospel more than anything else is Jesus as the son of man, Jesus in his humanity, fully God and yet fully human. And John's gospel, John looks at Jesus from the perspective of him as the son of God, that he was divine, that he was heavenly. And so four gospels, four angles for the purpose of depth, credibility, and perspective so that we can get a full picture of the son of God. Now, let's begin in verse 18 of chapter one. And I know you're breathing a sigh of relief. If you've looked at Matthew uh, 1, 1 through 17, I am not going to read the names of a genealogy that goes through 42 generations of people. I'm going to begin in verse 18, but I'm not going to skip, don't worry, the the, the theme or the contents uh, of why that genealogy is present. Notice with me in our text, verse 18, and just through the end of the chapter today. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or the incarnation or the manifestation of Jesus Christ in the world. Everything that all of the Old Testament was preparing the way for, now he's going to give to us the account of the fulfillment of that great hope, Jesus coming. It says, When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. It says that when as Mary was espoused to Joseph, meaning that she was engaged to a man named Joseph, but they had yet to consummate the relationship. They were not yet officially married. They were just engaged. Now, this tells us about Mary, the mother of Jesus. It tells us that she had a life. It tells us that she had plans. And it tells us <laughs> that she had a future. There was things that she had hopes for. But then we're told that there was a little bit of an interruption in all of that. Because it says that she was still engaged, but it says before they came together, she was found with child. Meaning that she is pregnant before marriage and out of wedlock. You could call that a minor complication. 
on things uh, or a minor challenge. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, you guys think about what that's like. You watch that happen in your neighborhood or in your family or if you were in those shoes, if that was you yourself. That is kind of crazy to think. Here's this woman now. She's engaged, but she's found with child. This complication created an issue. It tells us in verse 19. It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, it's translated righteous. He was considered a righteous man in the eyes of God. And it says, and not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly or privately. Now, I love this about Joseph because what it tells me is that God views it as a righteous thing to cover over a major transgression and not to publicly humiliate someone with it. And I'm really grateful for that because, you know, sometimes, I, I'm, I mean, I'm a sinner just like you, okay? I, you don't have to judge me about that. I'll be open with you about it. I'm a flawed human being. And sometimes one of the things that bothers me about my, my sins and my sinfulness is that I have this fear that there's this big jumbotron in heaven, uh, like screens that are just all linked and everybody in heaven is sitting around eating popcorn and watching what's going on on earth. And how arrogant am I that I think people are actually watching me, you know, in this whole thing, you know. But, 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 to, but, but I think, you know, Jesus said that everything that's done in secret is going to be proclaimed on the housetops. And sometimes I'm like, oh, oh, Lord, I don't want, I don't want anybody to see the attitude or the words or the thoughts. I, Lord, please, you know. And just to see that God considers it a righteous thing, that this is just, to, to even hide something as shameful as a teenage pregnancy or, 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 or a premarital situation like this. And God said, I'm not going to make a public, and that just comforts me to know that that's the heart of my God, that he's not like waiting for me to sin so he can tell everybody about it, you know. But it says that while he thought on these things, that's an understatement. If you've ever been in that, any situation kind of like that, <laughs> I'm sure he's thinking a lot about these things. It says, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Listen, sometimes something that we can't shake, a thought, an issue, a something that's going on in our life that is eating at us to the point where we can't even sleep. Sometimes something that we can't shake is from God in order to get us in a position to receive a revelation that he has for us. And that's exactly what's going on in Joseph right now. He's facing something that is so difficult he can't put it down, but it has actually primed him to receive from God information and explanation concerning the thing that's happening. It says that the Joseph said, fear not, or the angel said to Joseph, fear not to take unto you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, Matthew's explanation here, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Showing Jesus and his incarnation through a virgin birth to be a fulfillment of prophecy that was recorded by Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14. 
And so it says, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. That's remarkable. He did it. And he took unto him his wife and knew her not, that is intimately, until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And it says that he called his name Jesus. He was uh, embracing the call to raise Jesus. In fact, the title of the message this morning, this first message in Matthew's gospel is called Raising Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't officially show up until chapter 2. This is telling us about the conditions surrounding the pregnancy. And so the, the, the characters that are before us in this chapter are Mary and Joseph. And they really are two of the most remarkable characters in the Bible. And not really because of the role that they played. I mean, that's, that's big. That's huge to be chosen in that whole thing. But the, the thing that's so remarkable about them is really the price that they paid to play this role and then the prize that they obtained when they did it. And, and that's what makes them remarkable, but it also makes them relatable. It makes what God did through them connect to what God wants to do through us even today. Because everyone that God calls, whether it's to be Mary and Joseph and to physically bring Jesus into the world, or whether it's you and I in the days that we are living in, God calls us with a purpose that goes beyond just our going to heaven. If God just was interested in us going to heaven, then we would get saved and then we would die. Because why would God leave us here right? If, if that was all there was. But there isn't just that. There's a reason beyond salvation that God has us here. And so he has a part for every one of us to play that's specific and necessary. It's tailored and crafted for us. And so it's a privilege to be called by God at all. Now, every calling from God has at least five components, five things that make up the call. And we see them demonstrated here and then mirrored in our life. And so, now, here's what they are. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first thing every calling has in common, yours and mine too, is that there is the preparation of time. The preparation of time. And they're all P's, help you remember. The preparation of time or the setting of the stage. Now, Matthew really, for as much respect as we give him, he really needed to take a class on how to write a book because he breaks every single rule of of effective communication by starting his book the way that he does because he starts it with a 42-generation genealogy. And I'm sorry, but you lost me. You're supposed to start it with something that grabs my attention. You know, tell me about the resurrection and then flash back to the birth and sneak the genealogy in there somewhere because it's necessary. I mean, you're trying to have an audience here, but you're starting with a genealogy. It really depends on your audience. See, for a Jew whom he's trying to reach, it's exactly the way you would start a book. Because to a Jew, pedigree and family line is what either qualified or disqualified you from having any credibility at all. And so before any Jew would even consider whether or not Jesus could be the Messiah, they would need to know that he met the criteria of what lineage and family he would come through historically. And so Matthew begins with a genealogy for that very reason for the Jews. But it isn't just for that reason. Because he sums up his genealogy in verse 17, and if you look at it, 
He sums it up this way. He says that all of the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Okay, now that is an amazing thing that he puts out there because it then lands after 14 and 14 and 14 with Mary and Joseph who are now chosen of God to bring forth the Christ child. And here's what that tells us that's so important is that God didn't just haphazardly go and find Mary and Joseph and say, okay, I feel like sending my son today. But he had this plan in motion long before they ever came onto the scene at all. And it was specifically those two people, Mary and Joseph. Now, the genealogy of Jesus is recorded twice in the New Testament, once in Matthew and once in Luke. In Matthew's gospel, the genealogy is Joseph's genealogy through David and Solomon. And then the kingly lines, the kings of Judah. And that was essential because Jesus had to be a descendant directly of David through the royal line. Because God promised to David that of your seed will sit upon the throne that I'm giving to you. Speaking of Jesus who would come. It had to be David through the royal line. However, there was an issue. Because right about the time of the captivity, right about the time when Israel was about to be taken out, there was one of the kings, one of the descendants of David, a man named Jeconiah, who was so incredibly wicked that he got under God's skin. Do you know it's hard to get under God's skin? You know, we think that we're going to get under God's skin if we lose it in traffic or something. But he got under God's skin and God made a declaration in Jeremiah chapter 22 concerning Jeconiah. I want you to listen to it because it's important. He says this. He says, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. Watch this. For no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now, wait a minute. Jesus has to come through the line, the kingly line of David, through Jeconiah. In fact, Jeconiah is mentioned in Matthew's genealogy in verse 11. But yet God said that no man of his seed will ever sit upon the throne of Israel. Oh, God's got himself in a little corner now, hasn't he? If you read Luke's genealogy of Jesus, it doesn't come through Joseph, but rather it gives you Mary's genealogy. And Mary's genealogy shows that she is also a descendant of David, but not through Solomon and the kingly line, but rather through another of David's sons, a man by the name of Nathan. And so what you have is you have Jesus having the royal lineage and right to be called the Messiah because he is a direct descendant and legally the son of Joseph, but yet he is biologically linked to David through Nathan, thus he has the blood that would require him to be both the royal and the line, though God wrote Jeconiah childless. But there's only one way that can happen. You know what it is? A virgin birth. 
Because through a virgin birth, it makes Joseph not the father, not the seed, Jesus the seed of Joseph, but rather the legal parent. Oh, God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? See, sometimes I think that, I think that you know, because I can't understand how God is going to work something out, that therefore he's failed. I think sometimes because I, what, from what I can see, it looks like his promise has failed, that therefore God has failed. But God has ways of doing things that you and I don't even understand and will never figure out no matter what. Amazing what God has said. And so, so the preparation of time, and, and it's an amazing thing to realize what God had done because his plan for Mary and Joseph was in place long before they were even born. In other words, they were not chosen for something in the moment, but rather they stepped into something that was prepared for them already. God knew the exact time, and he made sure that they were there when that time came. I want to read this to you. Somebody, uh, my cousin actually sent this to me. It was a little thing, and I thought, this is so good. Listen to this. It says that for one reason or another, nearly 6,000 years ago, God sprung the universe into existence elements appeared exactly how they did and in those specific conditions stars were formed galaxies were created and our planet was formed and it was formed with such conditions that life began and human beings were made then in the past hundred plus years or so my great-grandparents were born and for whatever reason my four great-grandmothers met my four great-grandfathers respectively and they made a lot of choices large and small a near infinite amount Then the same thing with my grandparents and then my parents. And my parents decided to have sex on the exact day that they did. A day earlier or a week later, everything would be different. And when they had sex, tens of millions of sperm were released, yet only one fertilized the egg. Then about 40 weeks later, against unbelievable odds, I was born. For almost 6,000 years, literally Everything conspired in perfect harmony for my existence and well-being. And yours too. One small alteration in the fabric of the past, and we likely don't exist. Think about this the next time things aren't going your way. I mean, that really puts some perspective on things, doesn't it? And when you look at how God had planned what he was going to do with these two people, at least 42 generations. Now, we know it was from the very beginning. But what he's showing is that, listen, I got a plan and I'm going to bring it to pass. Now, if God orchestrated the fine details of your life before you were born, then what makes you think that he has lost control since then? God is working in you and me. He's got a plan, but he's preparing the time. It's part of what he does. It's part of what makes up a calling. Not just the preparation of time, but there's also then the preparation of the person in this case the couple see god will prepare the stage and he'll bring things to pass in their time but there's an equally great work that god has to do in the life of someone he's called in order to prepare them for the thing that he has called them to do now we know it had to be mary and joseph for the prophetic conditions to be met but the preparation of them as individuals is still vital Now, there's no record of Mary's preparation in Matthew chapter 1. But if you read Luke's account, you see that she was very much prepared by God for the baby to be placed in her womb and everything that would come after that. It tells us in Luke that an angel went into her and greeted her, told her that she was blessed among women. 
And she looked at this angel with shock, wondering what kind of greeting it would, this is, like what is going on here? And the angel explained to her what God wanted to do. He said, God has called you, he's chosen you, and you're going to bring forth his son. You're going to have a baby. And she questions naturally, and she says, well, how can this be? I, I, I haven't done anything to do that. You know, how can a baby be put in me? And the angel then explains and says that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, and the child will be God's, and that thing that is coming from you will be called the Son of God, the Most High, Emmanuel, Jesus. And Mary, here's the part, it says that she consented. She is given the information. She inquires concerning some details. The angel gives an answer, and then she consents. She accepts the call. She says, let it be done to the handmaiden of the Lord according to your word. She says, I'm open and I'm willing, I receive it. You see, there was a preparation that had to happen in her in order for her to embrace what God wanted to do within her life. Now, Joseph's preparation is recorded in Matthew chapter 1. Very simple words. It says, while he thought on these things. The panic, the anxiety, the stress, the hurt, the pain of what he was experiencing, thinking he knew he didn't do it. Mary could tell her parents anything. Yeah, the Holy Ghost, that's a new one, you know, as they would hear it. But Joseph knew that he wasn't guilty, that he didn't do it, but he's thinking that she did something. I mean, really, think about it. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. And all of a sudden, your fiancé turns up pregnant, and they're telling you, I'm, I'm telling you, I did not. I did not. Yes, I, I'm sure you did not. And he had to deal with that. But it was going through the process of thinking through. Now, I love that he was thinking through that. Because it doesn't even say that he was praying through that. But God met him in the thoughts that he was having over this issue. See, I'm, I'm more of a thinker than a prayer when things like this go down. But God used the very thoughts that he was trying to process and find a landing place for to bring him to the place where an angel could speak to him and his heart was in a condition where he would receive it and be ready for it. And we see that ultimately he did it, but there was a preparation. And so too in your life and in mine, that God not only sets the timing for our birth and our life, and he holds in his hand what he has for us, but he also has to prepare us for it. He works in us through various means. Oftentimes the struggles that we go through, the difficulties, I wish that sometimes it could be as easy as it was for Mary, where an angel just shows up and tells you what you're going to do. I've never met anybody that's had that. More often, it's like Joseph. We go through things that hurt, and in that, God meets with us, and he reveals something of our future in it. But the preparation of the person is a vital stage. The third element of the calling that we see here is common to all, is the price that they paid. To receive a call from God and to embrace it, to accept it, will always come with a price tag. There's going to be something that's on it. Now, in one sense... The call that Mary and Joseph had was somewhat easy. In this regard, okay, how hard is it to raise God? I mean, really, like you can't mess that up, right? You, you, can't, you can't screw up God. You barely have to do any raising. Like he can raise you more than you raise him. The devil's not going to be in your home. The devil doesn't want to be around Jesus. There's going to be a confusion in your home when the Prince of Peace is in your home. I mean, everything about raising Jesus has just got to be easy. I can imagine people come over for dinner and they're like, he's such an angel. 
And they're like, yeah, if you only knew, you know, <laughs> if you only knew what it was, he's, he's God, you know. That part of it was not the challenge. That wasn't the price. But part of the price was the interruption. And listen, every calling that God brings upon a life involves an interruption. Because all of a sudden, the plans that they had, the hopes that they had for their future, all of that went out the door. It was gone. God said, this is going to consume your whole life. This is going to become your very identity. Everything that you thought you were, everything that you thought you were going to do, should you embrace this call that I'm giving to you right now, that will change forever. All of your goals and desires must become yielded and surrendered to my plan for your life. This is going to cost you something, even though it's a high honor for you. Not just the interruption that it would be, but also the reputation is that for the rest of Mary's life, she would hear the whispers of the people around her that she was unfaithful before she was married and that Joseph was weak and that he took a woman who was not worthy and that he shielded her from a death that she should die. It tells us in John chapter 8, verse 41, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he was having an argument with some religious people in his day. And their defense towards Jesus is, is, Jesus said that you do the deeds of your father, the devil. And and they said to him, it says that we are not born of fornication. That's right in the Bible. That's John 8, 41. And what that means is that it was well known by everyone in that society who Jesus was and what the story was concerning his birth. And they were still saying in those days that Jesus was born as the byproduct of premarital relations. It was an illegitimate birth. We're not born of fornication. That's what they said. Mary had to carry that every day of her life. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, concerning the call of Moses. It says there in that verse, it says that he esteemed the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Do you see those words, the reproach of Christ? See, to accept the call that Jesus has on your life to belong to him, And to serve the purpose that he has for you, it's going to bring reproach into your life. People aren't going to understand why you do what you do. They're not going to understand the way that you tick or the way that you think. And there's going to be a reproach in your life because of it. Paul would say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, he says that all them that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Meaning that when you decide to embrace God's call for your life, people are going to have a problem with it. They're not going to like the way you think. They're not going to like the actions that you take, the stance and the position that you take on things, the, 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 uh, the, the, the way that you handle situations, the way you invest your money, your future, the way you raise your kids, the way you deal with your health. No matter what it is, someone who does not know God is not ever going to agree with the way that you live if you follow him. That's just part of it. It's just what happens. I was having a conversation with a brother recently. Actually, I have this conversation quite often because people will come and they say, how do I deal with my parents? Or how do I deal with my friends or my spouse who doesn't understand this whole thing? And and I'll say, well, you know, they're not going to understand you. It's, it's, It's very tricky. But I said, here's how I do it. This is the way that I do it. Is that I look at my life like a solar system. And, and like I, in, in my solar system, I'm the sun. And so my, my family, my relationship with God, my personality, who I am, all that's central in the middle. And that every other person in my life is like a planet. And, and they orbit at a specific distance from the center of the solar system. 
And some planets are closer. Like there's some people in my life that I can have very close. Uh, they understand. They're a part of my life. They're safe people. I, I like that. I want people close. But there's other people that I have to keep them way out by like Jupiter or Pluto because they're real big and they're dangerous. You don't want to get run over by one of those planets. And, and I know the distance that I have to keep them. And so I know that like some people in my life, like I can talk about cars, I can talk about politics, I can talk about world events, I can even talk about money. We can go and, and, and that's it. But, but if they want to talk about my family, if they want to talk about my job, if they want to talk about my ministry, I know that we are in danger right now. And if they ask a question that brings them inside the distance of that orbit, we're in trouble. Get them out. Because this is going to get ugly real quick when they start asking these questions, you know. And, and that's just part of it. It's part of being a Christian is that people aren't going to understand and learning how to navigate relationships with people that don't know God. It's, it's it, you know. And, that, and so it's a, there's a price in this whole thing, uh, you know. You, and so closeness to God often results in distance from others. So there's a price to pay. They paid it. The third is the privilege, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the fourth. We're up to number four. The fourth is the privilege. You know, I, I wonder what made Joseph change his mind. Because this is a hard pill to swallow. I mean, if my wife came to me and told me that she was pregnant with the Holy Ghost, and I knew it wasn't me, that's hard, okay? I don't know even if an angel came to me in a dream, because I have dreams, you know, and, and I've, I've had very powerful dreams. And I still disobey the dreams, you know, so I don't know... I don't know if I would have bought it. I don't know. How, why did Joseph do it? Like, what made Joseph flip and take Mary even though mm, she's pregnant? It's not mine. I know it's not mine. What made him do it? I think it's two things that the angel said. Number one was the proclamation of who this child would be. He said that he will save his people from their sins. And all Israel was expecting and waiting for a savior. That was the hope of their national existence. And for him to be a professing Jew and to be as he was a righteous man, as he is called in the text, he cannot discount that God doesn't always do things in the most convenient or conventional ways. And if God is going to bring a savior on the scene, he has brought prophets on the scene in strange ways then this might be the way that God is going to bring a Savior onto the scene. And if I should neglect the answer to this call, I may be neglecting the highest privilege that exists in all of history to be the one who gets to assign the name Jesus to Jesus. He said, you will call his name Jesus, which means Yahoshua or God with us, Emmanuel. Same word, different language. You're going to be the one that is... Now, in Jewish society, the naming of someone spoke of having authority over them. This is like, whoa. This is almost like, can you even do this? But I'm going to be the one that's going to give him his name. Can I really pass up the privilege of this amazing call? Have you considered the privilege of what it means to be even called a Christian? And when's the last time you thought about how privilege you are that god revealed himself to you and that you gave your life to jesus christ and you belong to him i graduated in a class of over 400 people in upstate new york and of those 400 and and i don't know all of them and where they went but there are less than five that i know of and that's probably a generous number that even know god at all and and amongst them there's only one 
that I know that actually had the call of God to serve in, in the capacity of teach, being a teacher of the word, to be a pastor. And I think, you know, of all the people that, that are in the world, all the people that we've been associated with, for you and I to have been chosen by God just to be a Christian, just to know him, just to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's a 1% you want to be a part of. And it's a high privilege to do it. But then to think that God has something for you on the other side of that that's going to bring glory to his name. It's a privilege. And to say no to the call of God for the sake of not wanting to pay the price or for any other thing is to pass on a great privilege that God wants to give. There's a privilege. And then finally, there's a prize. See, through Mary's acceptance of the call, through Joseph's willingness to raise a child that wasn't his, through their embracing of what God had for them, listen to what happened. Jesus was manifested to the world. Now, through her, through him, God was revealed in a way that he never had been before. And I want to tell you why that matters. Here's why it matters. Because Jesus is still being incarnated. Jesus is still being manifested and Jesus is still being revealed in the world today in ways that no one else has ever seen him. Do you know how? Through you and me, when we say yes to the call that he has upon our life to fulfill the thing that he has made us for. Because when we say yes to the call that he has on our life, when we say yes, first of all, Jesus, come live inside my heart. Grow in me like you grew in her. Then we change. But then when we give forth what it is that God has placed in us and placed in us for, then we bring Jesus to the world in a way that only we can because he works in us to do it. Listen, every time you say yes to the call of God and accept him, you're bringing glory to God in a way that only you can. Every time you raise kids for his namesake because he asks you to raise them in his name, you're doing something that's going to manifest Jesus later in their life. To love an unsaved person or to love someone that God calls you to love in his name and to say yes to that call no matter how difficult it is, you're showing Jesus in a way that no one else can. To raise kids in a single parent environment and God calls you to do that and you remain faithful and steadfast to it, you're revealing Jesus in a way. To live outside of your comfort zone, maybe in a place that you wouldn't choose, maybe just to plug in and become a student of, of Scripture. Or you had an opportunity to study something or be something that God has called you to or a career that doesn't make sense. And you just say, yes, God, you're calling me to this. And no matter what it costs, how inconvenient or what an interruption it is to my script or my plans, God, let it be done. Yes, you're going to pay a price. Yes, there's a time of preparation. But there's also a privilege involved in it. And there's a prize attached to it. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says this. He says, For I am reckoning that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Here's the facts. Is that God created you in His image to work in your life to reveal Himself to you and then through you. God completes you when you allow Christ to be born in you. He carries you as you take up your cross and walk in his will. And he's glorified in you. And you get to live in satisfaction and joy when you say yes to the thing that he's called you to. Some of you guys are here tonight. And you're being prepared for the thing that God has called you to. 
You're in a season of preparation right now as God is working in you. The things that are going on in your life that are causing you to question, the things that are difficult and trying, they are preparing you and the circumstances are bringing you to a place where you will be willing to open your heart and your life to God's will for you. Some of you tonight are here and you're in a more dangerous place, a more perilous place. Because you're in danger of of gaining heaven because maybe you've said yes to God coming into your life. You've said yes to the forgiveness of your sins, but you don't want to pay the price of what it is to have your plan interrupted or your life interrupted. And so you're neglecting the call and the purpose and the thing that he has for you. And you have the danger of one day standing before him and having him say, enter into the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world, but watching the crown and the reward and the privilege and the honor that you would have to cast a crown before him for something that he gave you to do to miss out on that honor because you don't want the call. And some of you, sadly, that are here tonight are in a completely different place than either of those two. You're in a place where you're not just in peril, but you're actually perishing. You're dying, and the reason is because you don't know God. You don't know him personally. See, God loves you. That's what you need to know. That's the story of the testimony of the Bible from start to finish, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would put their faith in him, to trust on him and believe in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. And he created you with an intention and a goodwill. He doesn't want to take anything from you. He only wants to bless you. And I wonder if you're here tonight, And through whatever circumstances led to this moment where you're here, you find that in the past weeks, months, maybe even years, you've been strangely drawn to the things of God. There are things that you've been curious, you want to know, there's an openness. I wonder if there's been some coincidences maybe that have happened and you thought, you know, it's a little uncanny that this has happened or that I had this conversation with this person or I ran into this person at this time or I was thinking about this and then turned on the radio and heard, heard this. And, and, and there's just been things that have happened where you're like thinking, maybe God, maybe you're there. Maybe lately you've had a desire. doesn't make sense to you, but there's a desire for some reason you want to know more about God. You want to know more about where you came from. And at the same time, you're aware of your emptiness and that there's a need for something. There's an openness. There's a curiosity. There's a hearing. And I wonder if maybe even here tonight, there's something happening in your spirit where hope is rising up inside of you because you're hearing something from God. Here's what I want you to know. If any of that is true, is that it's happening because God is calling you. He's calling you into a relationship with himself. He's calling you to be complete in the person of his son. And he's calling you with a purpose and, and to his person. And just like Mary was approached by the angel, and you know what the angel said to Mary? He said, listen, Mary, God wants to put Jesus in you. And she said, okay, it's going to cost me something, but it's a high privilege. And it's a high honor. And if you don't know Jesus Christ personally here tonight, here's the message that God has for you. is that God wants to put Jesus in you. But he will not force Jesus into you. But if you will say, I hear the knock, I hear the call, I can believe, and Lord, I open up my heart to you, Jesus will come into your life 
And everything will start right from there. The Bible says that he stands and he knocks. And if anyone will open the door, that he will come in and he will dine with them and they with him. Permission must be granted. Father, I just pray tonight in Jesus' name, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Lord, for, for this, this testimony. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray tonight that, that anyone's here that, that doesn't know you personally, that even now, Lord, in the sounding of my voice, that their hearts would be opened and softened to you. Lord, that you would come into many hearts and many lives. Father, that you would see the condition, see the need, and that you would come in. We thank you for your power to do it, your authority to do it. And we pray now, Lord, that you would move powerfully in each of our lives. Let us hear the call that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.